Well, hey, we're going to continue our sermon series today through the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bible or the Version Bible app, turn to Luke chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 25 where we left it off last week. Luke chapter 14. Just as a quick reminder, if you are following along on the Bible app, you can click that More tab, then Events, and then you can actually find all the information that you normally find in your bulletin right there as you're following along. Luke chapter 14, just as a quick reminder, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he will die on the cross on our behalf. He's going there and he's using every opportunity that he can to teach his followers what it means to follow him well. This passage specifically is a hard one to grapple with, especially if you have been following Jesus for a long time. Take a look here at Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. This is what it says. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who will see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to beat him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is still yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Like I said, this is sometimes a difficult passage to grapple with, but we're going to talk about it today and what it means for our lives. Before we do that, though, as always, let's just go before God and ask Him for His help with that. Father, again, we thank You so much for everything that You've done for us. We thank You for sending Your one and only Son to die on the cross on our behalf. We want to live our lives that reflect your glory. Help us to do that and thank you for what you've done for us. And help us to take your word here, God, and really apply it to our lives. Even if it's difficult, God, if you're you're calling us to change something, help us to do that. If you're calling us to go and do something, help us to do that. Give us the wisdom and the courage to be obedient with what you're calling us to do, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever experienced something that was too good to be true? And then it was too good to be true. Maybe it was your internet bill. You signed up for it and you're like, yes, $29.99 a month. That's the best price around. And then a year later, it's $79.99 a month, right? Like they always up it. Maybe you signed up for something thinking, oh, you know, I'll just buy this once and I'll try it out. And then suddenly you get a, a charge on your debit card month and month and month again. And it was a subscription. You didn't realize it. Uh, I, I was in college and uh, I was working at Sprint. I've told you that before. I worked at Sprint during college and I was helping someone upgrade their phone. It was a nice customer and we were just finishing up. And he turns to me and goes, you know what? You are an excellent employee. I own my own business. I'd love to offer you a job. Um, could, you know, could we meet up at Starbucks sometime and I'll grab you a cup of coffee and I'll just maybe kind of explain uh, what my business is all about. I said, yeah, that, that'd be awesome. I said, you know, this is a really good fitting job for me. Uh, he said, you know what? I can double your pay. I can guarantee it. 
I said, oh, okay, well, so we figured out a time to meet. I met him at Starbucks. He gets me a drink, and we sit down, and we're sitting down, and his business sounds great for about a minute, and then I realize it is a massive pyramid scheme. Okay, so he starts talking, and I'm like, so what do you actually like sell or do? He goes, oh, no, no, you don't have to do anything. You just get other people involved. That's it. Then you can make boatloads of money. This is going to be awesome. I said, yeah, that, that kind of sounds like a pyramid scheme. And he goes, he, his face immediately changed. Everybody says that. I can't believe that you would say that too. Come on, man. I thought you were different. And I was like, well, if everyone's saying it, maybe it is a pyramid scheme. Yeah. So uh, he left and he was not very happy with me that I would not accept this job offer that he wanted, but it was too good to be true. Right. And he was trying to kind of bait and switch me. And that's what the internet company does. That's what subscriptions sometimes do. Right. It's kind of this bait and switch. And sometimes in church, sometimes we can bait and switch people. Sometimes we can say, you know what? Life with Jesus is going to be amazing and it's all rainbows and butterflies and nothing bad will ever happen to you and everything you ever do is going to turn to gold and it's going to be awesome. The problem is that's just simply not true. And our God is so good and so kind that he clarifies himself for us. In fact, here, Jesus says, there is a certain cost to following me. There are things that are not going to be great in your life. But here's what we know, that following Jesus may not be the easiest life, but it is the best life. It is the most satisfying life. It is the most fulfilling life because God created each and every one of us with, a, uh, with intent to have a relationship with us. That means if we do not have that relationship with God, if we deny him out of our lives, that means we, each and every one of us are going to have a God-sized hole in our lives. And we'll try to fulfill that with everything that we can find, but there is only one thing that can fulfill that God-sized hole in our life, and that is a relationship with God himself. God makes that available through his son. But Jesus clarifies it here, and he says, guess what? There are going to be some difficult aspects about this life. It's not going to be all rainbows and butterflies. There are going to be some difficult things. And here's why I think it's so kind that Jesus does this. I once heard it said that clarity is kindness. You know, think about it. You don't want to start a job and have your boss be unclear to you. And then when you get your review, he calls you into his office and he says, I can't believe you're not doing this, 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 and that. I can, you're a horrible employee. And you're saying, well, you didn't make that clear. I didn't know that you wanted me to do that. A good boss makes it very clear, right? This is what I need you to do. This is what success looks like for your job here. God is very clear and he says, this is what this looks like. So if you're not good with it, you might as well leave. I want you to stay. I want you to follow me. But listen, I need you to hear because I am a kind God and I'm going to be clear. I need you to hear that there are some difficult aspects about it. Jesus here, I think, gives us three difficult aspects of what it really takes to follow him because it takes some work. And again, this is the best life that we can live, but it's not the easiest. It takes some work. Just like any good relationship in your life takes work. A good marriage takes work. Good relationships with your kids take work. Good relationships with your friends take work. A good relationship with God will take work. Here's what it takes. Here's the first thing that Jesus brings up. And it says first that there's this giant crowd and he's just saying, hey, make sure you know what it takes. Here's the first thing, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 
I don't know about you, but when I read this, it's kind of confusing, right? You're like, okay, doesn't like God call me to like love my enemies, right? I mean, even earlier on in this sermon series here in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now you might be saying, okay, I'm supposed to hate my family and like those closest to me and love my enemies? Well, not exactly. Let's look at a few more of what Jesus says here. Matthew 19, 19, honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, this is getting more and more confusing. Matthew chapter 15, for God commanded, honor your father and mother and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. Okay, that's extreme. This doesn't line up. And shouldn't I be like a, a, a loving spouse to, to, to the person I'm married to, right? Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave him up uh, himself up for her. Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Okay, that's difficult to hate someone and not be harsh with them, right? And shouldn't I be a good Christian parent? Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so this is confusing. Why does Jesus call us to hate these people right here in this passage, but in basically every other passage, we're called to love them, love them well, to do our best to raise our kids, to love our spouse, to honor our father and mother. What is going on here? What's, what does Jesus mean by saying that we, he wants us to hate them? And if we don't hate them, we cannot be his disciple. Well, Jesus here, he's using hyperbole. It's an extreme exaggeration. He's being hyperbolic to say that God should be the priority in your life. We say it sometimes too. We just look at the other flip side of the coin. Um, have you ever heard someone say this? Uh, you could use love in several different ways, right? I could say, I love hamburgers. I could also say, I love Tammy, my wife, right? There's a different kind of love going on between hamburgers and my wife, right? Everyone knows that. We've heard that. It's kind of uh, even cliche at this point, but we've all heard that argument, right? Like, oh, love is kind of a weird word. This is what Jesus is getting at. If you could say you love hamburgers, but you also love your wife, that's obviously a different kind of love. It is a step up. In other words, hamburgers don't even come close to the love that I have for Tammy, right? And if they did, something would be wrong, right? So I have a step up here. I have a massive step up. It's a different, qualitatively different kind of love that I have for my wife than anything else in this life. What God is saying here then is he's saying that difference that you have for hamburgers or pizza or ice cream or tacos or whatever compared to what you have for your spouse the same should be for your spouse to God. This is the hyperbole that Jesus is using here. He's trying to get his listeners' attention by saying, hey, listen, I need you in comparison for the love that you have for me to hate those who are closest to you. Now, we know he's not being literal in this hate. That would contradict everything else he's saying. He's using hyperbole to get one message across. He's saying, hey, if you're going to follow me, I need you to prioritize me above each and every other relationship in your life. I need you to prioritize me above everything else in your life. Because here's the weird part about this whole thing. If we do not prioritize God, 
What can happen? Well, we talk about it all the time. We say, oh, you know what? We want to be careful not to idolize our money. We want to be careful not to idolize our reputation. You know, keeping up with the Joneses. These would be sinful things that we'd say, okay, yeah, obviously we don't want to idolize these things. We're going to try and get those out of our lives. And people can even look at our lives and go, man, you really idolize money. You need to stop that. Here's the scary part, though, is that I think the majority of the time we can say that's an obvious thing. But the majority of the time, what's actually fighting for that number one priority uh, spot in your life are actually really, really good things that should be on that second tier priority. Things like having a good marriage. Things like having a good relationship with your kids and with your family. These are really good things. No one would look at that and go, man, you shouldn't do that. No, we would all look at that and go, that's actually biblical to have a good relationship with your spouse, to love your spouse well, to parent your children well, and have a good relationship with them, right? We would look at that and go, that's a really good thing. The problem is sometimes as Christians, we tend to idolize those really good things. And we tend to trade God's spot for those things. In fact, I think that the most uh, most susceptible thing that we have as Christians, the thing that we are most susceptible to, to trading out that spot is actually those really good second priority things. Those things like having a good marriage and having a good uh, relationship with your kids. And the ironic part is, you might say, well, yeah, but that's a good thing. I want to do that. The ironic part is, if you want to be a good spouse, if you want to be a good husband, a good wife, you know how you go about that? You be a good Christian first. You know how to raise your kids the best way that you possibly can? You be a good Christian first. You follow Jesus the best way that you can. Because what happens? He starts to transform you from the inside out. He starts giving you the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Don't you need those things to be a good spouse? Don't you need those things to be a good parent to your kids, to be a good family member? You need to be patient and you need to be kind and you need to be good towards these people, right? The only way that we can truly get that, the only way that we could truly be transformed is by giving our lives to Christ and allowing him to transform us. And then that's how we become the best spouse. That's how we become the best parent. Take a look at what Jesus puts, or how Jesus puts it here, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3 puts it very similarly. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Here's the deal. When you prioritize God above all else, Every aspect of your life gets better. Now, that doesn't mean that it's all rainbows and it's all butterflies, but think about it. When bad things happen, bad things are going to continue to happen. Your car is going to continue to break down. You're going to get in fights with your spouse. Things are going to be rough at work. Those things are going to be happening, but you deal with it completely differently when you have given your life to Christ and you're saying, God, you are above all else in my life. There is a qualitatively different type of reaction that you have when you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you're loving, you're joyful, you're peaceful. Things change. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, I like to trade cars. I don't do it a whole lot anymore, but I like to trade cars. And I re- I, what I really like to do is trade for Jeeps. I just love Jeeps. I think they're awesome. I had one a couple of years ago. Uh, I actually uh, bought it out in Chicago. I got a really good deal on it. I brought it home. I mean, I was like, man, I'm going to fix this up and I'm, I'm going to sell it to someone else. I'm going to make a little bit of money. This is going to be great. I'm going to enjoy it while I have it. Well, I was taking the top off. And I don't know about you, if you've ever done this, 
these things are heavy. And I'm the type of guy that says, I could do it by myself. I'm strong. I'm young. I could do this by myself. I dropped it and I broke a window. And there was glass all over my driveway. And uh, my neighbor came out and I was getting some stuff out of the garage. And she uh, actually, she called me and she's like, hey, did somebody break into your Jeep? There's glass all over the place. The top's all messed up. And I said, man, no, I just, I, I, I was a fool. I dropped it. I should have got some help. I should have done different things. I, I dropped it. And she goes, wow, yeah, never seen someone react to an accident like that. <laughs> I feel like, man, you, you broke this thing that you love. Yeah, but when you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you react to these things differently. That only comes by prioritizing God above all else. You have to give him that number one priority in your life. Above all the other things, including really good things, you have to prioritize God above all else. That's what Jesus says. This is what it takes to following me. This is the number one priority in your life above everything else. Look, take a look here at our passage and see what else Jesus brings up. He says this in 1427. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. What does it mean to bear your cross and follow Jesus? The cross is an instrument of death. Today, we could almost uh, equate it to the electric chair or uh, um, the injection that they give people on on death row, right? I mean, this is just an instrument that the government used to put people to death. He says, I need you to do that in your own life. I need you to take your desires that you have and put them under me and say, not my will be done, but yours, God. What is Jesus asking from us? What is he saying that it takes to follow him and follow him well? Well, it involves dying to ourselves. This is difficult. This means that we say, hey, you know what? The priorities that I have in my life, what I want to see happen in my own life, I am saying, you know what, God? Not my will be done, but yours. In the book of James, it gives us an example of people who say that, you know, they're going to go make a profit over here or over there. They're going to go start this business. Instead, it says that we ought to say, God, if it's your will, then let that be done. I will do that. But this is what it means to die to ourselves. Jesus, and this is not the first time that we've heard him say this. Earlier on in our sermon series through Luke, we heard this. He said to all, if any would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. This is not a one-time thing. This is not a one prayer on a Sunday morning. This is a daily action that we take, that we get up in the morning and say, God, whatever you would have for me today, I want it, even if that's really difficult for me, even if that's not what I want to see happen in my life. I follow you, Jesus, no matter what, and I will give myself to you each and every day. I'm picking up my cross and I'm following you. Paul gives us a couple of examples in his letters to churches that uh, he does this really well. Galatians 2.20, he writes this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's no longer living our own lives. It's living the life that God has given to us and that he's called us to. Philippians 1.21 puts it like this, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We die to ourselves. 
We say, you know what, the priorities, the desires that I have, I'm putting that at a lower priority and I'm putting God's will above everything else in my life. God, whatever you want to happen in my life, I will do. Jesus gives us one more thing that he says, if you're going to follow me, this is what it's going to take. He gives a couple of examples. He says it here, For any which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the costs, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who will see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able. Now, he gives us a second example here, too, in verse 31. He says, What king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to beat him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, look at this. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He says you have to die to yourself. You have to renounce all that you have. I want you to think about these couple of examples that Jesus gives just for a moment. These couple of examples of first building a tower and then a king going out to war. He's saying, hey, I want you to think through this. Before you accept me, I want you to think through what does it really look like on a daily basis to follow me? Because it does no good to accept me for a season and then wander off. It does you no good to accept Jesus as a teenager and then in your 20s, go do whatever you want. It does no good to raise your kids really well and go to church in your 40s and your 50s and give your all to God. And then when you retire, move to Florida and play golf with the rest of your life and uh, whatever uh, retired people do, I don't know, shuffleboard or whatever, and then just not care about your relationship with God, right? This is a life time commitment. Jesus goes on and he says another example here. Salt is good, but if salt's lost its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He says, let him who has ears, let him hear. I want you to hear today, Christianity is not a seasonal commitment. Your life with Christ is not a season. It is a lifetime commitment. What does it take to follow Jesus? It means committing for your entire lifetime. And there are going to be seasons. Hear me out, guys. There are going to be seasons that are really difficult. There are going to be seasons where people get sick and jobs don't go the way that you think they will and relationships get really, really difficult. There are going to be those seasons where you feel like, man, I feel like giving up. Don't do it. Hang in there. It is a lifetime commitment, and I can promise you this. What God has prepared for us will be better than what we experience today. There will be a life with no more tears, no more sickness, no more heartache, no more anxiety, no more troubles. But this is a lifetime commitment. Paul writes this to a young pastor in Ephesus, 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold to the eternal life to which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says, hey, listen, I want you to remember what God has called you to when it gets tough. When things are really hard, I want you to remember what God has called you to. And it's a lifetime commitment. Paul gives this uh, testimony in the book of Acts. He says, But I do not account my life to any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course 
and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the good gospel grace of God. This is what God has called us to. Remember what God has called you to when things get tough. It's a lifetime commitment. Paul writes it like this in Philippians as well. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting that lies behind and strain, uh, uh, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is what it looks like to commit for our entire lifetime. So let me ask you a question. What priorities are taken over in your life? Even the really good ones, are they creeping into God's priority? That number one priority spot in your life, are they creeping into it? Have you idolized your marriage? Have you idolized your relationship with your kids or your family members? Or does God truly have that number one spot in your life? Because it's so easy to idolize those things and it's so easy to get focused on what we want to have happen in life. I don't know about you, but I love dreaming about what the future may hold. I love thinking, man, what does life look like 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road? But sometimes I have to just remind myself and say, you know what? I don't know what life may bring. God does. And whatever he may have for me, I want. My will is aligned with the Lord's. But it's difficult. It's not always easy to do. Let me ask you a question. Have you denied yourself? Have you accepted Christ every single day? Or are those priorities starting to get kind of murky? Does God have that number one priority slot in your life? And have you committed for your entire lifetime? You know, again, there are going to be difficult seasons in life. There are going to be really difficult seasons where you're saying, man, I don't know if I could do this anymore. I don't know if I could do this Christian thing anymore. I just, I don't know, maybe I still believe, but I'm just showing up to church and that's kind of it. Hey, listen, your relationship with Jesus, it's a lifetime a long one. And it may not always be easy. You may be tempted to say, you know what, I, I feel like I'm just going to push pause on this and maybe I'll pick it up later. God hasn't called us to that. We need to press on, just like Paul writes, towards the prize and what God has called us to. Let me promise you this. If we actually do this, if you prioritize God in your life, if you say, you know what, God, you've got it. you got my all. I'm denying myself and I'm committing for my entire lifetime to prioritize you above all else. I guarantee you, you will not regret it. You can ask anyone who has followed Jesus for decades and decades here today. And I guarantee you, they will say, you know what? My only regret is that I didn't do it quicker. My only regret is the time that I spent not following Christ. So maybe today you're just saying, man, I'm hanging on by a thread. My relationship with God, it, it's kind of rough. Let me encourage you today. God wants a relationship with you. He loves you. He's a good and He's a kind God. And He's put out there, hey, listen, it may not always be easy, but it is the best life. It's the best life. So prioritize God above all else. If you're here today and you're saying, man, I, don't know, I haven't really ever given my life to Christ, we'd love for you to do that today. Today's your day. We want to help you with that. We want to help you to glorify God and live the most fulfilled and satisfied life you ever could. It's not always the easiest. Jesus makes that clear, but it is the best.
prioritize God above all else. Give Him that number one priority in your life above all else, even the really good things in your life. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we again just thank you so much for your clarity and your kindness. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. And God, even though life might get difficult, even though you've called us to not necessarily the easiest things, some really difficult things sometimes, God, I pray that in no matter what season we find ourselves in, we would prioritize you. That you would have that priority in our lives. That we would say, Jesus, whatever it is that you have for me, it's yours. Not my will be done, but yours. Father, I, I pray, man, even for those difficult times, for those people who are saying, man, I'm holding on by a thread, and I, man, my relationship with the Lord, it's not great right now. I'm just holding on. God, I pray specifically for those people. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that today they would be encouraged to give you their all, to say, not my will be done, God, but yours in my life. God, help, help us to do that. If there's someone here who hasn't accepted you, I pray today would be their day where they truly give you their, you their all. Help us to do that. Help us all to give you our all. Even if we followed you for decades and decades, God, we realize this is a lifetime commitment. And you are constantly calling us to do your work here on earth, to further your kingdom. Help us to do that. Help us not to just coast coast through the rest of our lives, but truly serve you, truly glorify you with everything that we've got, with the talents that you have given to each and every one of us, to our, with the resources that you've given us. God, help us to glorify you, to build up your kingdom right here. Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. Help us to love you better and better each and every day for the rest of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.